Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And Michael, I appreciate your prayers. It scared me a little bit when he was praying because I thought he said he prayed the message would be brief. And uh, he actually was praying it would be breathed from God. So you've got to pay attention. It scared me a little bit. But I'm excited about this message. This is one I've kind of circled on the calendar. And um, as Ricky and I have talked about just creating the worship service for today, uh, you'll notice there's not special music in the bulletin because there's something special at the end of the service. Because today is about the worthy one, the search for the worthy one. When you hear the word worthy, what comes to mind? See, we make decisions every day about what something's worth. Uh, some of my favorite shows on television have to do with worth. Things like American Pickers, Storage Wars, Palm Stars, Traveling Road Show. Anybody watch any of those shows? And, you know, they've got to make an agreement on what something's worth. And one of my favorite lines is, well, it's worth what somebody will pay for it. Right? So you're making decisions about worth. Some of you are going to go to lunch today and look at the menu and discover they're charging $2.25 for iced tea. And you're going to make a decision. It's not worth $2.25. And you're right. But there's going to be times in your life you're going to be doing something. You're going to say, I would give my left arm for a glass of iced tea. What changed? Well, in that moment, it was worth more than $2.25, right? I've met a couple this morning. This is Dustin and Hannah. They are from Spindale, North Carolina, and I thought I've got to use it. This is just an illustration, so don't get excited, all right? Because you'll see what I mean in just a minute. Dustin, in a matter of days, is going to Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, to join the Army. And so thank you, Dustin, for your service of our country. <laughs> Hannah has written on her arm, Army. At first I thought it was a tattoo. You did that with pen, and that was very good. It's a henna tattoo, so you didn't write it. You went down here to the corner. What does it cost now to get a henna tattoo? Eight dollars. All right, so eight dollars. Anybody interested in a henna tattoo? Save your money and get three glasses of iced tea, all right? <laughs> but how long have y'all been dating? Not long? They don't even know. It's... All right, Hannah, this may not happen with Dustin, but there may come a time when some young man pulls a box out of his pocket and he's going to say, will you marry me? And here's how you know whether he's worthy to marry you or not, if you need to see what's in the box. I'm saying, young ladies, you know what I'm saying? If you have to say, well, let me think about it, open the box, because this box is empty. This was left over from a wedding we had here yesterday. And apparently it wasn't worth much to the groom because he left it in my office. All right? But now I do advise you to at least see the ring. But don't make your decision over whether this jack leg is worth marrying or not based on the value of the ring. But we make that kind of decisions, right? Girls, guys, you're going to make a decision, if you're not married yet, over who you marry based on is this person worth me marrying? Are they worthy really of me? This morning, we're looking at something way bigger than that. The scene in heaven this morning is about the worthy one. And so I want to read just the first few verses from Revelation chapter 5, and we'll get through the chapter, but 
the first question or the first point is the search for the worthy ones. Let me read just the first four verses. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back with, and sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. We've been looking at the book of Revelation this summer, the chapel, and we saw last week the scene in heaven of the worship around the throne. And we're following up on that, and something, something very interesting takes place in chapter 5, and we'll get to it in a minute. But here's what John is seeing. John is now, he's experienced the throne. He's seen the lightning. He's seen the rainbow. He's seen the colors. He's seen that sea of clear glass in front of the throne. Can you imagine the picture with all the color that's going on, and then it's reflected in the glass, and then he's seen one sitting on the throne. And then he sees in the hand. In fact, a lot, of, a lot of commentators believe it wasn't grasped. It was just held open, the open hand, a scroll. And now the search is on for who is worthy to open this scroll and to break the seals and to look into it. In fact, my translation says the word book, but it's better translated just a roll. It's a scroll. They were used to scrolls in the ancient days. Obviously, when this was written, that's what it was written on. It was written on a scroll, probably papyrus or some other type of skin or parchment paper, and it was rolled up and it would be sealed. And they were used to, in the Greco-Roman world, seeing documents even sealed up with seven seals. Typically, those were last will and testaments. And the, the, what was written inside of the scroll would have been the intention of the party that was leaving this, and then on the outside would be written something like last will and testament. And most scholars, they debate this particular scroll, but the best explanation I get is this isn't a last will and testament. This is really God's plan. And I believe every time a seal was broken, a different part of the book was able to be accessed and opened. And so that's the scene that John sees. John sees this scroll sealed with seven seals, and on the out, he knows it's written inside. There's a bunch of writing inside, but on the outside... I believe what's simply written on the outside is an explanation of what's inside. And so John sees that, and then he sees a strong angel, probably an archangel. I don't think they had, like, weightlifting class in heaven, and this one happened to just be the one at the top ladder in his gym class. This was describing somebody like Michael or Gabriel, an archangel. His name's not given, but it's, he's differentiated with a strong angel. And it says he's proclaiming, with a loud voice. In fact, the word proclaiming is the word for heralding. This would be like the town crier that would go out to the gate of the city and exclaim in a loud voice so that everyone could hear him. So the loud voice that he's exclaiming with is a voice that would penetrate to the four corners of the earth because what's he looking for? Is there anybody in the universe that's worthy to open this scroll that's now been produced in Revelation chapter 5? held in the hand of God the Father, the scroll. And he's asking the question, who is worthy? The word worthy means deserving or suitable. 
or of high value. When I was studying for this sermon, I, just, just that idea of worthy. There's a search in, our, in the United States for someone that is worthy. In Arlington, Virginia, there is the tomb of the unknown soldier. And I was fascinated to read the qualifications for the guards of that tomb. The soldier walks 21 steps. On the 21st step, he turns and faces the tomb he is guarding. He does this for 21 seconds. The soldier then turns to head back in the other direction. He moves his rifle to his outside shoulder away from the tomb. After 21 seconds, he walks 21 steps and repeats the process again and again. Since July 1st, 1937, a relatively small number of hand-picked soldiers have stood guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. This tough duty is not for everyone. Over 80% of the soldiers who try out for guard duty at the tomb do not make it. Each soldier must have strong military bearing, discipline, stamina, and, pre and present an outstanding soldierly appearance. Each sentinel must be able to flawlessly perform seven different types of walks, honors, and ceremonies. They must retain vast amounts of knowledge concerning the tomb, Arlington National Cemetery, the United States Army, and their unit. They have no military or civilian convictions for violating the law. They must score a minimum of 250 on the Army physical fitness test. Their height must be within 5'11 to 6'4". They need a 30-inch waist and be able to present a soldierly appearance in the Army blue uniform. The tomb guards make personal sacrifices to have the honor of serving in their special role. They work on a team rotation similar to firemen at a firehouse. Those soldiers who serve well for at least nine months are rewarded with a special badge to wear on their uniform that acknowledges their service at the tomb of the unknowns. If they ever bring shame on the tomb that they guard or otherwise fail in their duty, they are stripped of the badge and the honor that goes with it. I thought, wow, what a high honor to be considered by the United States Army to be worthy of guarding a tomb that we revere. And yet, the comparison pales. What we're talking about is who is worthy to open this scroll that is held in the hand of God the Father. And the point that is being made is they've searched the entire universe and no one is found worthy. And I want you to see John's reaction to that. No one's worthy to open the book or break its seals. Nobody. And John says he began to weep greatly. What does that mean? That didn't just mean he had a tear going down his face. That means he was sobbing. That means he was wailing aloud because no one was found worthy. In fact, you need to get this. This is the only time in Scripture that tears are shed in heaven. Now, there's going to be some reference in the rest of Revelation to the tears of us from earth are stored in heaven. But there's never a reason to be sad in heaven, is there? And yet John is beside himself. Why? Because no one can open the scroll. So the search at this point, John feels like has come up empty. There's no one worthy. And then we get to verse 4 or verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion is from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book and his seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders 
a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. It's interesting how Jesus is described at this moment, and you've got to catch this. There's a lot of imagery in Scripture. Up to this point, John has seen Jesus. He saw him on the island of Patmos in a vision. He has seen him at the throne. But now the imagery changes a little bit. In fact, Jesus is described, first of all, the elder first of all says to John, stop weeping. Well, what would cause John to stop weeping? Well, back up. What caused him to start weeping? No one's worthy. And the elder said, hang on a minute. You don't need to be weeping because there is one. There's only one that is worthy. In fact, he's described as the lion from the tribe of Judah, from the root of David. Folks, this is Old Testament imagery. And just to be honest, that's what the Jews had been waiting for. When Jesus rode on the back of a donkey into the streets of Jerusalem through the gate, they were expecting the lion. They were expecting a roar and some teeth and some muscle and some might. And he didn't come like they were expecting. And yet, he is coming that way. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's of the root of David. In fact, it's interesting to know if you trace the lineage of Joseph's earthly parents, Joseph and Mary both go back to David. And the Old Testament talked about he would be of the root of Jesse. That's David's father. And the kingdom that was established by David, this is really Jesus' kingdom. But when John sees him, he looks. Well, they, they first of all said, this is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He has overcome. The word overcome means to subdue. How did he overcome? He overcame by going to the cross and dying on the cross. He overcame by paying the penalty for your sin. And what did he overcame? He defeated sin, death, the grave, the forces of hell were all defeated at the cross. So when you picture Jesus in heaven, and, and it's going to surprise you the picture you're about to get, but you've got to understand, this is the one who overcame. You've got to remember how he overcame. Because what does John see? He sees a lamb. In fact, the word for lamb here is literally translated lambkin. What does that mean? It means he was a young lamb. In the Old Testament, the picture in the Old Testament that the Hebrew people got was of a lamb that would be the would would basically take their sin away once a year on Yom Kippur. And so the rule was about four days before the Passover, you were to take a lamb into your home. In fact, they were real specific. If your house didn't have enough people or you couldn't afford it, you joined up with another house next to you. But you would take a spotless, pure lamb into your household, and that lamb would be slaughtered. On Passover, and by the shedding of its blood, the picture was, my sins are forgiven. Only problem was this. They had to do it again next year. And they had to do it again the next year. And they had to do that for hundreds of years, because that was just a picture of what was coming. But when you hear John describe the lamb that he sees, this wasn't a muscular lamb with teeth, you know. You don't see ferocious lambs. All right. 
In fact, he says he was a lamb as if slain. And you've got to get this. The literal word is butchered or slaughtered. That's what the lamb looked like. What John saw was a slaughtered lamb. Now, what position should a slaughtered lamb be? It should at least be on the ground, right? If you ever visit the Middle East, in fact, if you visit Israel, you'll drive through and you will see slaughtered lambs. They're hung up by their back leg, waiting for somebody to come by to take it home and make lamb chops. But what's different about this one? He's standing. He's standing. Yes, was he crucified at the cross? Yes. In fact, the description is slaughtered, and yet he is standing. Not dead. He's alive. And they recognize this is the worthy one. So the, the search for the worthy one allows for the entrance of the worthy one. Why? Because he's overcome. Now, the only person, the only thing that could open this scroll held in the hand of God the Father was someone of equal value to God the Father. In fact, what's about to happen is a picture in heaven to, dis, to demonstrate and display that the Father and the Son are equal. Revelation chapter 4 is all about worshiping the Father. Revelation chapter 5 is identical worship, but it's of the Son. And so this lamb that was slaughtered, who's now standing, is described. He had seven horns. Image throughout, well, first of all, the number seven is the number of perfection. Somebody mentioned that to me. There's a lot of sevens in Revelation. The word seven means, or the reason they use the number seven is it meant complete. It meant perfect. It meant once you got to seven, and that's a description, you don't have to add anything to that. It's perfect. So he has seven horns, which was, from the Old Testament, a symbol of strength and power. Now, keep in mind, the lamb, little lamb, slaughtered, and yet it's standing, but it has seven horns. So what John is seeing is this incredible image of a powerful lamb that to the human eye wouldn't look powerful. And yet it was. It had seven horns and then seven eyes. And he tells us these are the spirits of God sent out to all the earth. The Holy Spirit is described as seven fires in the first few chapters. Here again now is seven eyes. So that's the picture. All right, John has wept uncontrollably because there's not anyone worthy. Now John sees the worthy one. And here's how you end the message today. How do you respond to that? Well, folks, before I tell you John's response, let me ask yours. How do you respond to that? When you really catch a sense of what Jesus Christ has done for you, how do you respond to that? If you enter worship, and you've come to worship Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you're kind of just ho-hum about that, that's not a good response. So let me read verses 8 through 14 as we close this morning. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. 
Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Wow, what a picture. What a picture of what's taking place in the future in heaven. This is what John has been invited to look at. What did Jesus say? Come up and I'm going to show you what's going to take place. So when Jesus has taken the scroll, the four living creatures that we were introduced to in chapter 4, the 24 elders that we were introduced to in chapter 4, what do they do? Fall down before the Lamb. What did they do in chapter 4? They fell down before the throne. Same response, same worship of the Lamb that they had of the Father in Revelation chapter 4. They're each holding a harp. This is literally a ten-stringed instrument referred to as a lyre. David played the lyre in the Old Testament. It's part of worship. What are these golden bowls full of incense? Well, incense was a sweet aroma. You know, it talks about in Scripture that our praise of the Father comes up to him like a sweet aroma in his nostrils. Well, the aroma here is the prayers of the saints. And here's the good news, saints. Your prayers are being answered. In fact, what's about to take place is the final answer to the prayer of those who have been saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. All heaven is about to break loose. And then they sang a new song. I'm one of those, when, when I read scripture, up to this point, we hadn't heard music in heaven. You say, well, wait a minute, what about chapter 4 when it says they were saying, holy, holy, holy? It says they were saying it. In fact, you go back to the host, the heavenly host on the hillside, remember in Bethlehem, when they announced to the shepherds, a lot of us think they're singing the hallelujah chorus, but what does it say? It says they were saying. What's different? This involves the saints. And they're given a new song. When I read that this week, I thought, some of you are going to complain because you don't like new songs. My mom's one of those. If you don't like those off-the-wall music, got my last church. I don't like those 7-Eleven songs. I was like, 7-Eleven? Yeah, yeah. Seven words, and you sing them 11 times. One of, the people, one of the people I follow on Twitter, and I don't follow a lot, is called the Church Curmudgeon. you got to look it up. He's hilarious. This week he posted, for you new contemporary songwriters, you need a swift kick in your Fanny J. Crosby. Now, if you're under about 40, you're like, who's Fanny J. Crosby? If you're over 40, you get the Fanny J. Crosby. Now you're wondering, what's Twitter? <laughs> why do we get a new song? Here's why I think we get a new song. There ain't been one written yet worthy of this. And we're going to be given a new song that is going to be sung around the throne. And look who's singing. 
Here's what they're singing. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And what happened when you were slain? You purchased for God with your blood. The imagery of the word purchase was a military term. When a soldier was captured in combat, the ransom that had to be paid to the opposing force to bring that soldier back home was the ransom that is described here. Listen, if you're a child of God, you understand you've been ransomed. And what was the ransom price? It was the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you belong to the enemy. We were children of darkness. We've been brought into his marvelous light. How? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That was the payment price. And so they are worshiping Jesus because of that. How do we even gain access to the throne room of heaven? It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's why we're singing this new song. Worthy are you to take the book and open it and break the seals and look into it because you paid the price. And it says then you've purchased men from every tribe, literally an offshoot race or clan, from every tongue means every language group, every people, literally ethnos, race, and every nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. What's he talking about? That's coming later in Revelation. During the millennial kingdom. And then he says, I looked. And here's what I heard. The voice of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures. How many living creatures were there? Four. Then the elders. How many elders were there? Twenty-four. But then he numbers the angels. Myriads of myriads. The word is literally ten thousand. In fact, it was the high. They didn't have a number bigger than that in the Greco-Roman world. You know, some of you when you were kids, million was the biggest word you'd ever heard of. Then we came up with trillion, and now it's like, there's, you know, I can't even get to all of them. Just a bunch. But I did the math. If you took 10,000 and multiplied times 10,000, that's 100 million, and that's not how many he's talking about. He's saying myriads, so literally 10,000s of 10,000s and thousands of thousands. So what does that mean? That means <laughs> countless number. And what are they doing? They're worshiping the lamb that was worthy. And that's what one day the folks who are on earth are going to see coming back. Is the whole host of the heavenly armies coming out of heaven. They're declaring with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb to receive. And here's just eight words, seven to begin with. And I just want to unpack these words. You're worthy to receive power, literally dunamis, dynamite, miraculous force. You're worthy to receive riches, which literally means abundance. You're worthy to receive wisdom. That's where we get the word Sophia from, wisdom. Might, literally forcefulness, honor, literally esteem or dignity or the money paid for something. Glory, where we get the word doxology, glory. Blessing and every created thing. And I want you to catch when he says every created thing, is there anything left out of every? No. Every created thing. And where are these created things? On heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in it. What is this a fulfillment of? A promise from Philippians chapter 2. What does it say? One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Who does this include? It includes you. 
Who else does it include? It includes the demons. It includes the devil. Because they're all created, right? Every created thing. It even includes the animals, the birds, the fish. Everything that's ever been created one day will fall down and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when that takes place, the four living creatures keep saying amen. What does that mean? So be it. Let it be. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The word worshipped is the Greek word proskuneo. It means to kiss toward. That's what we do when we worship. Did you know that? The word often, most often used, there's other words for worship. One most often used in the New Testament for worship is proskuneo. Pros means towards, kuneo means to kiss. We are literally, when we worship God, we're kissing towards God. And I want you to catch this because we're going to end with worship today. Musical worship. Worship doesn't have to be about music. That's a subject for another sermon. But I want you to understand, soon this mighty host that we've just caught a glimpse of in heaven is going to march out of heaven to execute the judgment, to gather God's people and return with Christ when he sets up his earthly kingdom. So what does that mean? The stage is set. It's about to happen. We're going to close this morning a little differently than we typically do at the chapel. I want to invite you just to sing a song. In fact, it's right out of Revelation chapter 5. And, and if this morning you're saying, I don't feel like singing, that's okay. You don't have to stand and sing. You, you pray, God, prepare my heart so that I could sing these words. But if it's your heart this morning, as the guys are coming right now just to lead us, I'm going to pray for us. And let's end with worship. Let's join with this picture of what's going to take place in heaven. And let's worship the Lamb that was slain who has bought us back with his own blood. Let's pray together. Father, I acknowledge, Lord, that we don't get it. We catch a glimpse of heaven and it blows us away, but, Lord, there's so much more. But God, your word tells us that you inhabit the praise of your people, so we invite you today to be enthroned upon our worship. Lord, just as we close this way today, would you receive glory and honor because you are the worthy one. In Jesus' name.